This is the JomoCast, a podcast about deepening our commitments to the things that matter most and joyfully missing out on the rest. I'm your host, Christina Crook, bringing you interviews with leading creators, thought leaders, and technologists, inspiring us to take action to thrive in a digital age. There's a time-worn thought exercise beloved by university students, armchair philosophers, and cocktail party conversationalists alike. Would you kill Hitler? Would you travel back in time because the reality of time travel is the least interesting part of this and assassinate either as a bitter young art student or even as a baby the man responsible for World War II and the horrors of the Holocaust? The conventional answer is, of course I would. Who wouldn't? who wouldn't take out the most evil man in modern history. Some people even use the question as a kind of purity test. But here's the thing. By killing Hitler, you simply eliminate, depending on your rules for how time travel works, the known future in which Hitler did the things he did. We assume that this will create a better world, because the terrible atrocities he committed would never have happened. But we can't actually know that we'd be objectively better off. Maybe Stalin, whose state apparatus in our own reality eventually killed even more people than Hitler did, would, unburdened by a war by Germany, have his sights set on equally devastating world domination. What if the doctors that have cured some of the world's worst illnesses wouldn't be born as a result of the lives not lived in our alternate reality, and so on? Morally, of course, we'd all like to punish the idea of Hitler. But causally, it's absolutely impossible to say whether our present world would be far better or far worse. The point of this is not whether or not you should shoot Hitler. It's that often the decisions we make have a specific, usually very important, at least to us, objective with an infinity of unconsidered consequences. When Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook, all he had in mind was a kind of trashy way for fellow Harvard students to rate each other's looks and then later a digitized student directory. As happy as he probably is with the staggering power and wealth he's amassed, that consequence almost certainly did not exist in his wildest imagination. He wanted to create something fun and maybe a little profitable. Today, well, you know how the story goes. This podcast exists exactly to explore and address the immeasurable ways that Facebook and the industry it created have affected every aspect of our lives in many ways for the worse. But if you went back in time and erased Mark Zuckerberg from history, you'd just be erasing a Harvard nerd that wanted to impress his classmates. But what if Zuckerberg had somehow thought about the far-reaching impact of a monetized system for connecting anyone in the world to anyone else with a highly mediated form of social interaction? Would he have done it differently? Maybe, maybe not. It's too late to create a reality where Facebook never happened. But my next guest, Aaron Peace, wants the world's digital innovators to learn from our timeline and create a future where the consequences of our creations are considered, explored, and measured before not after they change our world forever. Erin Peace is a product and service designer for Method, with user experience being her particular passion. Technology is both a vital tool in her work, but also the subject matter of every project. 
how can humans have a more joyful or at least a less uncomfortable experience engaging with technology? A few years ago, Aaron began thinking about how concepts like the attention economy and social media informed the worlds that designers like her were creating. Influenced at the time by the Time Well Spent campaign and the Cambridge Analytica scandal, she began to consider the impossible trap created by this ecosystem that no amount of personal efforts can ultimately resist a pervasive system that one cannot reasonably escape if that system remains harmful. In this final 2020 episode of the Jomocast, Erin shares how this exploration informs her work and led to the creation of the site dopamine.fun and the interactive story Terms and Conditions. Darkly funny looks at the ubiquitous tools used to manipulate user behavior in unconscious and inescapable ways. One of my favorite things about Erin Peace is her belief that we can design a future worth wanting together. I hope you enjoy this last 2020 conversation with Erin Peace. Let's start with Erin Peace. Who are you and what do you do? I am a designer. I work at a design and strategy consultancy in New York City. Um, and I like to say I'm a product and service designer. So I do everything from, you know, user research to um, designing screens, really concerned with how people use products and services and sort of what kind of experiences and emotions they're having when they use those products and services. Okay, give us just like a really concrete example of a project without giving a brand away. Sure. Um, one I really, really enjoyed was um, the experience of parking at the airport. Hmm. So it's super frustrating for people most of the time, right? So basically what the um, client, what they'd done was replace the toll booths with machines. So essentially, rather than paying a person cash as you go out right now, you have to interact with this device um, on your way out and in of the parking lot at the airport. And it's a really highly stressful situation, right? Just because you're like trying to make your flight and all these things. So what we did was basically a lot of user research, customer research, sitting with people in their cars as they drove around trying to navigate throughout the parking lot, trying to interact with these machines, and then advised on everything from you know, different signage you should have to what should the machines actually, what should the 10 words on the machines actually say to people? So it's like a little bit of human computer interaction and it's digital in that sense, but it was also extremely physical in that we're talking about how people are actually navigating around the parking lot. So that's what I mean by like experience design. And I really like how it blends the physical and the digital to really think about the whole experience, even though it's a short time in someone's life, it makes an impact. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's what? There's got to be millions of people a year. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually get in the car. Yep. Pre-COVID, you got in the car with we these people? get in the car. We sit next to people and, yeah, I mean, not random people, right? We've recruited them. Um, but yeah, and, and we talk to them as they drive from a place far outside of the airport all the way through the whole experience mm. and then back around and, um, you know, and then do an interview as well around sort of, what types of travel they do, who they're normally with, get a little bit bigger picture of their life beyond just that specific interaction with the machine. 
The reason I wanted to talk to you, Erin, was because I really wanted to tee up 2021 with a conversation with someone who is a designer, someone who is in the business of imagining new futures. And I really want to frame this conversation around a 2021 worth wanting and who better to talk to than a designer about that. So thank you so much for being open to this conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time to be having it, but I think an important time to be having this conversation. What would you say are your biggest tech challenges in your personal and professional life? I work in tech. So, and now I work remotely in tech. So I think just hacking the tools to make them fit my needs would be my biggest professional challenge. And the fact that sometimes I can't always do do that in a way that um, is sustainable, just given the fact that my work is highly collaborative but the only way to see my colleagues is through through digital technology. So there's just like a, a trap there that I can't escape. Um, but when I say hacking, I mean just like making sure I'm going into the settings and turning off notifications for all the things that aren't really relevant, staying off social media during work, all of those kind of things. Um, and then in my personal life, I think it's transitioning from that work productivity focused mindset where like. I'm not trying to not be on my email. Like that is what I'm doing. I'm trying to trying to respond and react to everything that's going on online to transitioning to a mindset where I need to be intentional about you know what I want to do offline, whether it's cooking or running or reading or just talking to my partner. Um, it's a it's a huge mindset shift. And I, I've had to build in you know, practices of a mile walk every morning or getting outside the minute that work ends. Um, and that's not the fault of my job, but just the nature of of working on screens all day in a very sort of reactive environment to try and transition. How have you found those walks have changed the way you even begin a work day? Um, I have realized that when I don't have them, I'm significantly more anxious. I think it's just and and I sleep worse. Um, I think it's because when I go to sleep thinking that I just have to wake up and turn on the computer, <laughs> um, that's a very stressful way to fall asleep. Whereas it's just like a little bit of something to look forward to in the morning. And I really try to, you know, I don't take my phone. Um, I just, I live right next to Prospect Park. So I guess I'm lucky in that I just get to be in nature. But it's a very, very simple thing. But just the habit of it has has really helped me this past year. We kind of answered this question already, but what tools have you adopted to help you deal with 2020? They could be digital tools, but they could also be completely non-digital tools. Sounds like the walk's one of them. The walk is one of them. I would say running. I know Hmm. people people hate when other people talk about running, but um, I ran my first marathon this year. What? Of all years, this is the year? This is the year. And I think it's because I, it was 2020. And what else was I going to focus on? And I joined a group um, of people that meet and, and run together. And so having, you know, endorphins, um, community, and nature, all in one, I think was probably the biggest tool that helped me get through the year without feeling too depressed or anxious. Absolutely. And having a goal you're working towards yeah. all those things. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. How did the how did it even work this year to do the marathon? Did you run it by yourself? There were a lot of those. Um, 
happening virtual ones. But for my first one, I was like, that sounds so lonely. Uh, there was one happening in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, actually right around the, the election. So it was wild, but, um, and they just had people start distanced from each other. So you'd pass people here and there. That makes sense. Um, it worked out really well. Um, as a designer, you are in the business of imagining and creating new futures. Back around 2017, you began thinking about the role of the designer in the attention economy and how social media commodifies our attention. How did that curiosity first spark for you? Yeah, um, I was trying to decide um, what I should focus my master's thesis on. And I had a lot of ideas around the role of design in public health. Um, so, you know, you think about label warning labels on cigarette boxes or, uh, campaigns to spread awareness of, of AIDS and things like that. And design plays a really strong role, at least communication design in, in influencing people's behavior. And, you know, I read books like Nudge and thought a lot about how, um, design affects people's behavior. But personally in my life, um, I was in a long distance relationship. I was living in London, far away from my family. And so I was necessarily um, tethered to my screen for communication with the people I love. So I felt a personal sort of frustration and anxiety around social media. So then those two things sort of combined. And I tried to think of, well, actually, social media is somewhat of a public health issue, given how anxious teenagers are becoming, how... um, much the word, I think people were starting to talk about it as addictive at that time. Um, so I just really dove into that world of, of social media and how, how it can really disrupt your life in a negative way. And then I think as I continued to, to look into it, I took less of a personal bent. So in the beginning, I was thinking of it more like, how can we convince people to spend less time on their phones? Like ultimately, it makes you unhappy. So how can we nudge people in that direction? Um, but as I began reading more on, you know, the time well spent campaign was really popular at that time, and it was around 2016 when the Cambridge Analytica scandal happened. I started thinking about the role of social media in society more broadly, and I really felt like the the individual user was not the one who should solve the problem. Um, there were a lot of underlying, I mean, the underlying business model of the attention economy is essentially what was driving these behaviors in people. So to try to, you know, it's like the analogy of asking the person in the food desert to stop eating crap. <laughs> like this is what's available to them. Mm-hmm. This is what the system has set up. So I wanted to look a little bit more broadly and, and examine what was setting up that system. So that's a very long answer to why I became interested in the topic. Well, it wasn't that long. It was fantastic. (laughs) That led to a really fun grad project, a website called dopamine.fun. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was experimenting with um, digital design and learning a lot about it at the same time that I was researching this topic of the attention economy and social media. And so what I ended up creating was, I guess you could call it a piece of critical design. So a piece where it's basically a BuzzFeed-esque website. Um, And the idea is that you go on and you try to 
Well, you don't, you just, you just browse. Hopefully the content's interesting enough. You know, I wrote on it. I included some gifts and fun quizzes and things like that. And you just, you just spend your time. You spend your attention just like you might anywhere else. And my idea was um, at the exhibit was to get people to authentically engage with the content without realizing that their time and attention was being tracked. So, which it always is right when you're in social media, but in my case, I made it apparent with a timer and a, re- and a physical receipt. So at the end of your session, you have to actually check out of the website and then a, a physical receipt prints. And the name of the, the project was your attention is non-refundable. Hmm. So to show people that, thank you for spending your attention here. It's, it's gone. You know, you can't, I, I personally, I, as the creator of it and happy for you to spend time here, I could monetize that if I wanted to. Um, but ultimately for you as the viewer, this is what you've chosen. And so I just wanted to bring that sort of awareness to people. Was it at an sh- actual physical show? Yes. Um, it exhibited at my grad degree show, but then also in the London Design Festival in 2017. Wow, congratulations. That's huge. <laughs> I have to say that dopamine.fun was very revealing. It's one thing to listen to an interview about a concept or read a book or article about it, but to read and experience the phenomena you're learning about at the same time was incredibly powerful. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I'm into this stuff. This is my, what, like what I live and breathe. And for me to experience, to be reading your critical analysis of the attention economy while having my attention, you know, grabbed for in every which way was just amazing. So I really encourage everyone to go to dopamine.fun and I'll put that in the show notes. It's my coding skills, so they're not not the best. But that I think what you just touched on is like the power of design, right? It's like you can read about something all you want. You can hear politicians talk about it. Um, but it's not until you physically either experience it in real life or get a sense of it through some sort of experiential design that you begin to really internalize it. So that was that was my intention there. Like you can hear a politician talk about it, but it's not until you truly experience it yourself in the real world or through some sort of designed experience that you can really internalize it. Okay, one more. I ended um, my journey with your other site, Terms and Conditions, with go <laughs> with, go home to your mom. Sad. It's like, go home to your mom now. Um, I must have made a wrong turn no, navigating. I, I, I <laughs> do. You made the noble turn, but... <laughs> Okay, so tell us about this uh, other site or project. I forgot I told you about that one. So that was, that was again, experimenting with both medium and subject matter at the same time. So the medium I was trying to learn was like, choose your own adventure style storytelling um, through a website. So basically, it's a very, very simple website. And you just are able to navigate uh, through a story, you know, there's a line or two on the page, you click what you want to do next, there's basically two options, and it'll take you on different routes, depending on on your answer. And the subject matter I was investigating was just this idea of very obscure terms and conditions, and how much social media companies in particular, are hiding from the public in terms of what they're doing with your data, and um, how they're monetizing it. So yeah, you're essentially asked to give over more and more personal information um, as you navigate through this site. And if you ever say you feel uncomfortable, you're you're locked up. 
Um, and then if you decide to continue to do it just for the sake of ease, um, it eventually shows that it's possible that a government, a large corporation, anything could happen now that they have that data. And so you're really at their mercy. And so I think the situation was that someone had taken photos of you drinking and there was face recognition. And then in this scenario, drinking became illegal. And then because there were photos of you, identifiable photos of you drinking, you were a, you were then arrested. So, um, and then I think it ends with, you know, I didn't agree to that. And then it's, yes, you did all over the place. So um, again, I think that one's probably better experienced than spoken about just because there's a few like typographic tricks, but, but yeah, that was just a fun way to sort of explore this, this idea of, of terms and conditions and how much it, it actually obscures and how important they actually are. Yeah. I want to say a couple more things about it. I love that you framed it as a party. So you're invited to a party. Don't you want to come? <laughs> Just teasing. All right. Like FOMO. Yes, please. Like I want. Yes, I want to be at the party. And it was put on by Facebook. Um, and yeah, at each step you had to yeah opt in, opt in. And I think at one point I opted to actually know you didn't use the term terms and conditions, but I opted into learning more and the terms and conditions that you had there, which I don't even think were the full terms and conditions must have gone on for 25 pages of just scroll. Um, That in itself was, you know, very arresting, very uh, powerful to see it all there in bright red text. And that is kind, right? Like it's not Facebook, not the first person to make obscure terms and conditions, but um, the fact that they're hard to read, the fact that they're put in small, teeny little text, widescreen, like, I don't read them all. You know, no one reads them all, but you're signing away a lot of your your data protection. My dad now reads them all, by the way. <laughs> Does he sign up for less as a result? Yes. Way to go, dad. Yeah. <laughs> the JomoCast is a listener supported Each episode takes up to 40 hours to create and involves the work of our composer and producer, Tom, social media lead, Rebecca, and me. We believe there are new and even more urgent questions to be asked now about digital well-being, given that most of us will need to depend almost exclusively on digital channels for social support for the foreseeable future. On the podcast, we answer questions like, how can I stop comparing online? and trust that I am enough? How do I shift my attention from passively consuming online to creatively connecting with neighbors and loved ones? How do I build the self-discipline to see things through? How do I stay on track doing the things I say I want to do without getting hijacked online? This podcast is made possible by you, our incredible listeners all over the world, from Brazil to Australia, the USA to Singapore. Please support the JomoCast for just $3 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash JomoCast and sign up today. You will get Jomo swag and a handwritten note of thanks from me in the mail. A shout out on the podcast and a place on the Jomo wall of thanks for all of time. You'll also have the opportunity to ask future guests your questions and get uncut video of all the JomoCast interviews. To sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash JomoCast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N 
patreon.com forward slash JomoCast. And thank you for supporting the content that supports you. You've written, you might not remember this, but you shared an article with me um, about speculative design. So you've written, quote, though we might like to believe that technological impact is predicted and planned by some brilliant tech gods, the reality is more chaotic. More often than not, technological progress is the result of a series of incremental innovations by disparate groups, oblivious to the consequences of their quest to strike gold. How we might leverage technology X to increase profits is the guiding question of many companies today. Whether it's social media, AR, VR, you go on from there, machine learning, we rush so fast to keep up that we rarely stop to ask why we're doing what we're doing. But because humans have this myopic tendency, we should be thinking about how to immunize ourselves against this short-term thinking. One way to do this is by embracing speculative design. So my question for you is, what is speculative design and how can it help us? Speculative design is a form of design practice that tries to answer the question of possible futures in order to define preferable futures. Um, So it's trying to ask what should our future world be like um, rather than, let's say, how should we get there, which is more like prototyping or what will it be like, which might be more like you know, forecasting or predictions. It's it's more what should it be like? Um, and it's really, I'd say at the moment, it's kind of academic, um, but it's this idea that design can be much more than it currently is, which is in service to capitalism. Um, it can actually be a tool for us to to have conversation about, about preferable futures. So this, there's this idea of like the cones of possibility so if you think about, if you look out into the future, there's a wide cone of possible futures. The next cone in maybe is plausible. Um, and then there's probable, but somewhere in there, there's preferable, right? So so how can we define what that preferable is? Because if we don't define it, we're just going to be constantly reacting um, and, and fighting each other um, based on what is currently happening without without any sort of guiding vision. Can you give us a practical example of how that might work out like we're at the end of 2020 we're imagining a 2021 that's hopefully a bit better how could the speculative design concept help us kind of imagine a preferable 2021 am i reaching here is this something that we can talk about i think i think i think that's like the um a good a good mandate for speculative design because i think it has been too often put into museums or, or things like that, where people who are already pretty familiar with either future thinking or design um, can examine it at an academic level. But so I think your question is great. Um, I think somewhere to start could be with the way we design our streets and cities. Um, you know, we've, at least in New York, they close my, my road every, every weekend. Now they closed it during COVID and Lots of people came out, people brought their kitchen tables out, and it was a new way, a new way to exist in my community that we'd never thought about before. And no one thought about it as speculative design. And and I wouldn't say it is, but just on that note, I feel like there could be speculative designs around how we might reimagine our streets. And maybe that will be a, a an image, you know, an image photoshopped or um 
a new kind of table that's modular that could go in that space quickly and then be taken out or, or different things, different objects, different um, future, maybe short stories or anything that sort of could be designed to help us imagine different ways to, to live on our streets in a more healthy way. Okay, let's switch gears and focus a little bit more on you. What does Aaron Peace's ideal 2021 look like? Or I could put it a different way. What's the 2021 that you want? 2021 I want. Um, This is a great question and one I like to reflect on around New Year's. I'm a little early. Um, I want to pay more attention in everything I do. And I think it was actually one of your podcasts where you had the, I guess who would call it mother of mindfulness on. And she spoke about how mindfulness is not meditating, but it is noticing new things. And I've really taken that to heart um, because there are so many things. I'm, I'm very much a planner and I often think about my next trip, um, what I want in my career, things like that. And there's so much that I can't do, couldn't do in 2020 um, that I couldn't plan for. So I had to really focus on the here and now and make it interesting, right? <laughs> make my breakfast interesting. So I want to further that skill um, of paying attention to my daily life and really learning what I enjoy and what I want to devote my time and attention to and what I don't. I know it's your answer, but I feel like it's such a wonderful answer for anyone listening that seems like an achievable goal. <laughs> it feels within reach for anyone listening, no matter what part of the world they're in. I think that's such an amazing want or desire for 2021. 2020 did force us to get incredibly creative. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like silver lining, you know, a terrible year. But I think, well, I know that it pushed us to be incredibly creative in the ways we spend our time, the ways that we work, the way that we relate to one another. Yeah. And it's, it's proven, I think, how, I mean, me personally, but also I think as a society, like how resilient we are. So that's something I also want to take more pride in, I guess, in the in the future is appreciating what my body can do, what the earth um, provides, um, things like that, that if we don't pay attention to them, they will go away. You know, if you never... If you never uh, stretch, you'll lose flexibility. If you don't notice how wonderful the world is, you won't care that the animals are dying. And, you know, they're just, I think attention leads to action in that way. So, yeah, I guess I wanted to sort of close out our conversation with the importance of imagining and dreaming and wondering and the spaces we need to allow this kind of big picture thinking. And I think what I love about the holidays, which when you're listening to this, you're probably in the middle of the holidays, is it is a pause. It is an opportunity to stop. And like you're saying, you know, think about what you want in 2021, the kind of classic New Year's resolutions, New Year, New You. And that can be a bit of a cliche, but I think we do have to pause and make space to imagine what we want in order to move towards it. And I guess I'm curious if that is your natural way of thinking as a designer that you know that you need space to do that big picture thinking. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when I'm talking about, um, you know, noticing new things, the art of noticing, I mean, design is fundamentally, I think, 
connect or creativity, let's say not design, but creativity is making connections, right? So um, you can't make connections among things unless you are constantly getting new inputs. And we are, I'm constantly getting very similar inputs when I'm online, right? I'm getting email notifications. I'm getting, um, even if, even if they're of different substance, they look exactly the same, right? So getting out and just experiencing um, new things and exploring um, nature and just new sounds using all your senses. Like that's how I, that's, that's where you start with design. Um, I always think versus Pinterest, you know, looking at what everyone else has done. And it's from there that you can actually process that into something. So there's the inputs, but then when you actually process, like you need the space to do that as well. So that's obviously making, making space for, for processing what you've been observing in the world is really important. Um, and that's not just time, right? That's literal mental space. And like I was mentioning about the transition from work to non-work, it can be hard to actually understand when you're in that space because we've been so, uh, let's say, conditioned to, to always be in a productivity mindset. Um, so I think it'll take some work for me and probably a lot of people to actually realize what it's like to get get into the right headspace to process your inputs and then therefore be creative with them. One final question. What do you want to leave behind in 2020 and what do you want to embrace in 2021? Love it. I want to leave behind impatience. I feel like there is no need to be anxious about what is currently happening or to wish that things were a different way or to wish that they were faster because that space is where you can actually be curious about what's going on, why I might be feeling a certain way, why something might not be going as I thought it would. So that's for me is um, leaving behind impatience and being more comfortable with my expectations not coming to fruition. Thank you so much, Erin Pease, for being with me today. Thank you. Well, friends, I'm going to take my own advice by experiencing the joy of missing out at the start of 2021. I'll be logging off for a few months to focus my attention and importance on a very special project and supporting the members of Navigate. The Navigate membership is designed to provide you with the inspiration, accountability, and practical tools to support your digital well-being. You can learn more at christinacrook.com forward slash navigate. I won't labor the point that 2020 has probably been the most tumultuous year in our collective lives. We're all probably exhausted to our souls of rehashing it. So instead, let's talk about the future. 2021 is going to be an amazing year in Jomo country. The JomoCast will return in April 2021 after a January to March break. When we return, we'll launch into conversations about all things new. Hearing from designers, community leaders, novelists, and scientists all about the work of imagining and building a future worth wanting and leaving the right things behind us. Until then, I'll be finishing a new book built right out of the conversations we've shared on the JomoCast. I'm thrilled to be writing again, excited to have such a wealth of fresh and vibrant research material, and grateful to you for helping sustain the JomoCast to make it possible. I want to encourage you 
to unplug, recharge, and get ready for what I know will be a fantastic, joy-filled 2021 with simple adjustments. We can make it so. The JomoCast is edited and music composed by Thomas J. Inge. Visit tinge, that is T-I-N-D-G-E dot com to learn more about Tom and his services. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast with your provider of choice. And if you loved this episode, leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. These reviews are a powerful way you can help us reach more listeners. I'm your host, Christina Crook. Thanks for listening. And may you find joy missing out on the right things.